This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. My name is Abby Mast. Will you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning praising you for all the ways you have blessed us. There are so many things you have given us that we take for granted. Thank you for your forgiveness and choosing to love us every day. Psalm 89, five through eight. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, God Almighty? You, Lord Almighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. God, there is no one like you. No one even comes close in comparison to who you are, an all-knowing and all-powerful God, but forgiving and loving. As humans, we fall short time and time again. We are often bitter, quick to anger, and slow to forgive. Without your forgiveness, we would all be condemned, but the gift of your son Jesus as a sacrifice washes us clean, and there is nothing that can separate us from your love. God, we thank you for that this morning, and we can always come to your table. You take us as we are. Lord, we also lift up those in need of healing today. We pray for Tyler Van Denbrink in recovery from his surgery and continued journey of leg lengthening. We pray pray for Gay Hexel's recovery from reconstructive surgery and for Kathy Walt's surgery recovery. God, I pray that you bless them and their families and surround them with your peace. I pray that this healing and peace extends to anyone else in need of your healing. God, we also think of our servicemen this morning. We pray for your almighty protection and peace to surround them every day. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning, my name is Bethany Corson and I'm the Director of Children's Ministries here. And at this time, if you have a child who is preschool age up through kindergarten, they'll be heading down to Little Tykes Theater with Miss Amanda and Miss Samantha. And Miss Hannah will be with the toddlers. At the end of the service, you can pick them up by heading down these stairs. The first door on your left in the hallway is Little Tykes Theater, and that is where you can pick them up. Then if you have a child who is first through sixth grade, they'll be heading down to Kids Zone with me, and at the end of the service, you can pick them up by going out into the lobby at the top of the Kids Zone stairs. Thank you.
Well, good morning, church. I am Pastor John. It is a joy, it's a privilege, it's an honor to worship with everyone this morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well. I'm excited because we get to go through a new book of the Bible starting this Sunday, the book of Nehemiah. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you um, as a congregation and even those at home watching online. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to have your Bibles ready, okay? We're going to be digging in this book. It's a 13-chapter book, which means if you were to read two chapters a day, you'd be able to read through the entire book by next Sunday, and by then, my guess would be, by the time we're on week two of this series, which is gonna be approximately eight weeks long, and we're gonna take off um, a couple of Sundays between June and July just to give you a rest from the book. My guess is if you were to read through this book on a consistent basis, 13 chapters, about two chapters a day, you would come to church Sunday morning, 9 a.m., giddy, for what God may want to speak to you this morning or next morning or the following morning after that. The book prior to Nehemiah, if you look in your Bibles and if you're in your blue hardbacks, that should be page 383, the book prior to Nehemiah is the book of Ezra. And in the Hebrew Bible, it's actually one book, Ezra and Nehemiah together, um, but in our English Bibles, English Christian Bibles, um, it's two separate books. And so in Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books um, have three main leaders in them. The first leader is a man by the name of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and God uses this leader to help rebuild his temple. Then the second leader is Ezra, and Ezra uses this leader to help rebuild the faith community and reorient their heart, the remnant of God's people who were exiled. God uses Ezra to help rebuild the faith community and reorient their heart to the word of God, to get back to the basics. He's the shepherd of the three. And then God uses Nehemiah, which is who we're gonna be looking at, but we'll also see Ezra throughout this. God uses Nehemiah to help rebuild the city walls around Jerusalem, because they have been broken down and burned down for quite some time. I have a picture up here for you. All of this is happening, the scene of Nehemiah, uh, 444 B.C., for those who need to get some dates in their mind. So 444 BC, this is happening. Let me bring you back around 140 years prior to this, 586 BC, the Babylonians took the people of Israel into captivity and they tore down and they burned down their walls and tore down the temple as well. And in 539 B.C., the Persian Empire took over the Babylonian Empire. When the Persians take over, they actually allow the people of God to go back to Jerusalem. And some of them go in 539 and beyond, and some do not go. 
But through the return of many of the exiles, the Israelites rebuild the temple in 516. So three key dates here. 586, Babylonians tear down the walls of Jerusalem. Then we got 539, the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. And then we have 516, the Israelites rebuild the temple. But there are still no city walls around the capital city of Judah, southern hemisphere. There's still no city walls around Jerusalem. The red line that you see here is the eventual route from Susa, the capital city of Persia, should sound familiar. Uh, I think it was two years ago we went over the book of Esther. That's where that takes place. So there's Susa right there, capital city of Persia, and this is the route, the red line, that Ezra and Nehemiah would have taken to come back to the capital city of Judah, which is Jerusalem there at the end. And that's some 900 plus miles, okay, of a trek. And so I, I wanna give you this history as we launch into this book so you are well aware of some of the context that we are dealing with. Okay, let me ask you a question now. What are some things that stir your heart up? What are some things that just stir you up in your heart? My fear is, I ask that question, and my fear is because we live in this society today in this culture and context that is inundated with information, like literally on the spot, live information. From our phones to our televisions, we have so much information at our fingertips. And my fear is, because we are inundated with information, a lot of it bad information, by the way, we have become a bit numb and desensitized to some things that we should not be numb or desensitized to. And so I feel like when I ask the question, what are some things that stir your heart up? If we wanna be honest, for a lot of us, some of us has, have to dig deep to think about the last time we were really stirred up in our hearts. I mean, it wasn't too long ago there was a major earthquake in this world. And as my wife was looking at some of the photos and videos that were happening, and this was a couple months back, um, I had to like check myself because my wife is literally tearing up as she is in the bed seeing this, and I'm just like on to the next thing. And so I believe so many of us, and it can happen all too easy, we have become desensitized and numb to things that should stir our hearts up. One thing that stirs my heart up is the church. Like not just Coopersville Reformed Church, but we're at the top, I'm, it's at the top of my list. Um, but also just the church in general contextually here in Coopersville and beyond, but also just like the church, nationwide, worldwide. Like I love meeting with church leaders. I love hearing what God's doing in their churches. 
I love gleaning from them a little bit. Like, oh, okay, hey, man, that, that's, those are some good ideas. Those are some good strategies, some good things to reach more people. I love sharing, just like an open book, what, what God is doing here and maybe some things that could also help them. I just, I love the church. When I was doing Christian hip-hop music, I would sometimes get criticized because my music was too much for the church. They'd say, well, don't you wanna make music to help reach other people, like outside of the church? I'm like, yes, but God has given me a heart for the church. He had given me a heart for the people of God, so my music was often riddled with theology in, in deep cultural context. It's like, hey man, if you just stop saying God, 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 and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time, maybe you could help reach more people outside of the church. And I thought to myself, that'd be great, but that doesn't feel like it's my mission. My mission is, is for the people of God, and then through that, I know God is going to reach others outside of his church. So I, I just have this heart that is stirred for the church. And so, uh, so did my mother-in-law. So believe it or not, I met my mother-in-law before I ever met my bride. So it kind of reversed. But I, I met my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was actually visiting the church that I was a leader at in Kankakee, Illinois. And it was a small church and she was visiting with her husband, my eventual father-in-law, about 10 years ago. And so 10 years ago, this sweet French woman and her tall husband come walking into our church. And I'm like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, you know? And, and then during a portion of our service, my pastor took prayer request. And so he says, we're about a flock of 25, 35 people. And so he's taking prayer request. And he says, hey, is there any prayer request? And I'll never forget my future mother-in-law. I had no idea. I had not met Helen yet. She raises her hand. She's all of four foot 11 and a half. She raises her hand. And she says, I'm immigrant from France. Please pray for Israel soft-spoken voice, please pray for Israel. And as I'm looking in her eyes, her eyes are welling up with tears for Israel. And like I'm moved at this time as just a young 20-something, looking at this woman like, I wanna know more about this woman. I had no idea she'd be my future mother-in-law a year and a half later or so. And she had this heart for Israel. And I share that story because that stirred up her heart at the time, but I think that is the heart here of Nehemiah. He has a heart for the people of God. And so as we read this, jumping into chapter one, we're gonna read all of chapter one together. I want you to just know that Nehemiah's heart is for the people of God. It's for what Nehemiah 1 will call the remnant. And what we're going to read in Nehemiah 1 is almost as if it is a journal entry from Nehemiah. And so we're getting to peer into his journal a little bit as it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? So if you have your Bibles, um, 
flip there, page 383. If you want a blue hardback, this is the time to grab one, take it home. There's already, we've been talking about it, man. We need to replenish some of those hardback Bibles because a lot of y'all have been taking it home, which I'm, I'm grateful for. And this is the book of Nehemiah. This is the word of the Lord, starting in verse one, and we're just gonna read the entire chapter. And I really have like one main point that I'm gonna drive home as we prepare our hearts for communion. The word of God says this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, that's the November, December, in our calendar time frame, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Those are the people of God who have stayed faithful to God. The Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is questioning his brother and some other men about like, how's it going? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah writes, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Verse five, then I said, and this is about to be one of the greatest prayers recorded in scripture. And if you wanna think of an acronym for this prayer, I found one. It's literally pray, P-R-A-Y. P, praise to God, he leads off with. R, repentance of sin. A, agreeing with God's promises. And Y, yearning for God's blessing. So if you wanna write, if you're a note taker, you write that somewhere, write it in the margin of your Bibles. I thought it was really good. P-R-A-Y, praising God, repenting of sin, agreeing with God's promises, and yearning for God's blessing. Here's his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven and the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my family's father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
remember. He's saying, remember your promises, God. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man he is speaking of is the king who is his boss in Susa, for he was, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me before we dive in? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for recorded prayers inspired by your Holy Spirit that we get to just draw from today. And for some of us, this, this might be the first time ever reading this book. Maybe we've certainly heard of the name Nehemiah, but maybe for some in this room, they've never opened the pages of this book. So Father, I pray that we would just draw from a fresh anointing today, that your spirit would pour out like a fountain on our hearts, teaching us, provoking us to repentance, to, to praise, to joy in your name, and to an expectation of blessings to come. Father, may we know you further through your word today. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. So in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. If I had a main point today, the main point would be this. Before we rise and build, and that's what we've entitled this series over the next couple of months, before we rise and build, we need the heart of God to stir us up. Before we rise and build, as Nehemiah is about to, we must first have the heart of God stir us up. Nehemiah asks his brother and his brother's companions who have traveled from Jerusalem to Susa, he asks them, how are the Jewish people doing? How are the people of God? How, how's the remnant? How are they doing? It's been 90 years since many of the Jewish people have come back into the holy city. It's been over 70 years since the temple's been rebuilt. And how's it going? The report back to Nehemiah was, it's in trouble and it's in disgrace. The walls are broken down still. Essentially, what he's saying is we are a joke to the nations around us. The people of God are a joke to the nations. And Nehemiah hears this and he is beside himself. He hears this and his heart is provoked to tears. He hears this and his heart is provoked to mourning. He hears this and he is provoked to fast. He hears this and he is provoked to pray and to record his prayer, to journal his prayer.
He weeps, mourns, fasts, prays. He intensifies the stirring up in his heart. When your heart is stirred, do you just move on quickly? Or do you intensify it? Do you sit in it for hours or days or even weeks? Or do you just move on to the next thing? The algorithm just getting you. Give me some joy here, Twitter, Facebook. Move on quickly. Or do you just turn it off and spend some time considering what it is that you've just consumed or what it is that is troubling your heart? Or do you move on? Nehemiah here intensifies it through a prolonged period of mourning and weeping and praying and fasting. We don't know a whole lot about fasting today. We know a whole lot about fast food. That's about it. We know a whole lot about fasting. Turning over the plate as a megaphone to heaven to seek out what it is that God is doing and to seek out what it is that God may want to do, even through you or through others. When's the last time you have fasted for a prolonged period of time for other people? The beautiful thing in the story I shared with you about my mother-in-law in her request for praying for Israel in this church she had just stumbled upon for her first Sunday was that my, my in-laws would be considered poor as it is in American standards. They hit up every food bank. Um, their home is barely standing. They have eight children. We make sure they're taken care of. But she had every right to say, can you pray for our situation? But her heart was so beyond that, it was moved towards another nation of people. I think now we live in this like me-centric, focused society. It can be so easy to just not see the needs of others. And what moved me as I even got to know her more and then fall in love with her daughter is that they have so many needs. Live off of just a few thousand a year. When's the last time we've prayed for other people and fasted for other people for a prolonged period? CRC, before we rise and build, we need the heart of God to stir us up. It just so happens that tomorrow, you can know this, we will be meeting as a lead team, elders and deacons. We'll be meeting also with our facility team leader, our Nehemiah, Kevin Waringa, 
call him our Nehemiah. He'll be with us, and we've been praying and discerning around the vision for our campus here. We met with you all a few months back, share with you the updates we got from the construction company here that we're working with, Dan Voss, and the, the big number's awesome, right? The big project's awesome, looks glamorous, but it certainly seems like that's a little bit out of our ballpark, out of our range, so we're having to restructure, recalibrate, pray, go back to the construction team, and that's been a process, and that's taken some time. So tomorrow, we're coming with a revised plan. Our facility team leader, our Nehemiah, we'll call him, Kevin Waringa, and the rest of the facility team who's been supportive of him, and then um, he's gonna be meeting Kevin with our lead team. So tomorrow, we're gonna look at that revised plan that focuses on some of the primary needs put us within a more reasonable cost range as a church. And we'll be delivering all this information to you guys in due time. But here's what amazes me with the timing of everything. If you're just here and you're sitting back and you're thinking the only thing that they're doing is just a building upgrade and maintenance project, that's what they're looking at. You must understand as I have grown to understand, understanding the history of this church, the almost nearly 170 year history of this church, many of you know that because you have parents' parents who have been a part of this community, this faith community. I realized the last several years have led this church to this possible moment. And when I read Nehemiah's prayer, you can get a glimpse of the lens in which he viewed God through. Let me read it to you. He says this in his prayer in the opening. He says, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, we use the word awesome way too much. It's not awe-inspiring at all. Like yesterday, I made some awesome chicken on the gas grill. It took me 16 minutes. That's not awesome. But here, Nehemiah uses the word awesome to reflect who God is. Now, that's worthy of the word awesome. He says, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. That's that hesed, hesed love, faithful covenant love. He reminds God and praises God for who he is. He's the one who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's who God is. Nehemiah opens his prayer with such a high vision and a high praise for God, you need to know this, there have been faithful people in this church for some time who have had such a high vision of praise for God. And then Nehemiah gets low. He goes from this high, awesome, praiseworthy view of God, and then he gets low to the, to the muck, to the basement. We're sitting on top of it right now. And he starts calling out sin. The sin of his people, the Israelites, the sin of his direct family, the sin of his own 
personal life. And he doesn't like, he doesn't beat around the bush. You notice the language that's used there, and it's very strong language in the original Hebrew. He says, wickedness. It's wickedness. Do you see your sin as that? As wickedness? That's not politically correct. It's wickedness. Your sin, my sin, it's wickedness. Call it for what it is. That's what Nehemiah calls it. He says, we've not obeyed you. We've just not obeyed you. Church, do you know you are sitting on holy ground? Do you know that our children now are playing and learning on holy ground? Why do I say it's holy ground? First, there are people who have marched through these rows praying over seed after seed after seed after pew after pew after pew after pew. They've kneeled in these rows. They've wept in these rows. They prayed for the seats that you are sitting in and the people who will sit in those seats such as yourself. They've went into every room in the basement and they've cried out for God's mercy. They've called out for unrepentant sin, not only their own sin, but the sin of the past and their families and their people. They've called out for that sin. They prayed for revival to stir up in this place years prior to me being here. And they called on God to do what he longs to do for his name, all with a vision and an understanding that the God of heaven, the great and awesome God of Abraham, Moses, Jacob, and Daniel, the God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, that's the God who they have been calling on, and that's the God who we call on today. You are sitting on holy ground. God meets people in this place. We have stories. He meets children in this place. He meets youth in this place. He meets young adults in this place. He meets adults in this place. He meets senior adults in this place. He meets broken people in this place. He meets suicidal people in this place. He meets self-righteous people in this place. He meets religious and irreligious people in this place. He meets people who are prideful and arrogant in this place. He meets all kinds of people in this place that you're sitting in. And they have struggles beyond what man's eye can see but God sees it all and he meets them right where they are at in this place often. Nehemiah 1 is a reminder that God can use a leader. 
You could build the temple. Zerubbabel. My wife was saying, it's, honey, it's not Zerubbabel, it's Zerubbabel. Tomato, tomato, baby. Uh, that's what I said. He can use a leader to shepherd a flock, Ezra, to reinvigorate. He can use a leader to do a building project where Nehemiah is going to have to use all of his political influence, and he had a lot of it. We'll read more about that next week in Nehemiah 2. But he's going to have to use a lot of that. He's going to have to work through the governments and the powers that be. He's going to... He's going to have to use all of that. We're going to have to work out budgets and spreadsheets and everything else to make this work. And all of it's being empowered by the hand of God and the providence of God. It's the providence of God. Remember a couple weeks ago, it's the hand of God in the glove of time. Brother Tony Evans. Nehemiah 1 reminds us of all of that. He can stir up people to do his will. But I feel it's a good time to remind us, Coopersville Reformed Church, and that's why we really plan to leverage this into what I shared. It just kind of happened. I knew I wanted to go through Nehemiah over the summer. And it just seems like God allows the stars to align in such a way. But I feel like it's a good time to remind us, CRC, before we rise and build, we need the heart of God to stir us up. We need the heart of God to stir us up. We need him to stir us up for three things that I can and you can clearly see here in Nehemiah 1. Here it is. Here's three things. Sin, the city, and his good news being revealed to people. Sin, the city, and his good news being revealed to the people. I've been reading a book on the four views of hell. Believe it or not, there are multiple different views on hell. And the historically most popular view of hell within the Christian faith is eternal conscious torment. It's eternal. It just continues forever and ever and ever. Conscious torment, called ECT. It could be the view of hell that you came in here with today. It's the most historic, traditional view of hell. It's the view that just personally, so you know, it's what I hold to as a Christian. Not all Christians hold to that view. But it's certainly something that should be considered. As I've been reading and studying, it's like, it's not exactly bedside material. Reading about hell something that should only be read with fear, trembling, and tears. There's obviously biblical support for this, but proponents of other views will say things like, that seems so unloving of God. How could he allow someone to suffer eternal conscious torment for even 100 years of a sinful life that rebelled against God? And then they get eternity Conscious torment, that seems unfair. Here's what I think we must understand. It's only 100 years, or the average man lives 69.8 years, and the average woman lives 74.9 years. It's only that long because sin 
cut it short. And in a sense, God's common grace also cut it short. If it could have been, it would have been 10,000 years or 100,000 or a million years or 10 million years. If it could have been, an innumerable amount of years willfully rejecting and sinning against an all-loving, all-beautiful, all-righteous God. We must understand that our sin is so great that the thought of Jesus taking it upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane, just the thought of it caused him to draw great droplets of blood through his pores. That's how great our sin is. That's how great our sin is. And Nehemiah here is calling out his sin. He's calling out his sin, his family's sin, his nation's sin. Jesus made a way. He took the penalty for your sin and the sins of many. Sin is so great. And our sin being so great and the punishment being so great should only show you how great Jesus is and the penalty that was paid for us. Then we think about the community, our transition, and our role in the community as a faith community. It can't be undersold. It can't be underappreciated. It can't be emphasized enough. The city needs a church like Coopersville Reform. This city needs this church. This church is needed within the providence and will of God. Why, because we're so special? No, because God has established this church. God is the king of this people and God has plans to use this covenant community to bring glory and honor to his name and many more people into a covenant relationship with him through this church, through you. As God stirred your heart up for the city so that the good news of Jesus Christ could be freely given to Coopersville and beyond. In just a few weeks, you heard it today, VBS is gonna be happening in this place. Rachel shared there will be church kids here and non-church kids alike. Oftentimes, that is a doorway for non-churched families to visit this church to hear about this covenant-keeping God that we so love? Will you be praying for that? Could you pray for that? In just a few weeks, the youth group, they're gonna be taking trips. Young adult group, they're taking trips. Senior adult group, Sir Carolyn Cushway, she's already, they're going on. Guys going on a, they're doing something wild. I can't keep up with them. They're having a lot of fun, they're taking trips. People are moving and gathering in community here. The beauty about this book that we're gonna be diving into over the coming weeks that Nehemiah is an exiled Israelite. All he has known is being in exile. That's all he knows. He's been in exile all his life. 
He has favor from the king and he literally risks his life as a cupbearer to ensure the king's food and drink is not poison. That's what a cupbearer did. He'd take a sip of the wine before the king got the wine and then he'd give it to the king and if the cupbearer didn't drop dead, the king would enjoy the wine. It's a hard job. It's a scary job. And God is going to use this man who has construction management skills. And as his prayer clearly indicates, a deep level and knowledge of God. Although he hasn't been in the holy city, he has continued to, to just pour his heart out to God. It's clear through this prayer that Nehemiah is deeply connected to God and his word. And he's going to use him as well as many others with different skill sets and abilities. But first, before a single portion of the wall goes up, God is stirring up the heart of his people. And may God continue to bring us as a faith community to similar stirring in this place as we consider the future of our church, the potential restructuring and expansion and rebuilding of this church. What's our mission about? What's our one initiative about? What's our ministries about? It's all about bringing good news to people everywhere, doing that strategically, and most of all, and most importantly, through the Spirit of God empowering every moment of it, certainly starting in our own city. Let's spend time in prayer as we seek God to stir up our hearts and also prepare our hearts before we take the Lord's Supper together. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We just take a moment to ask you to stir up our hearts, to awaken areas of our heart that maybe is, has grown numb. Maybe it's grown desensitized to things that you would actually have us be very sensitive to if it weren't for other things. But Father, we just take a moment to say thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the great and awesome God. You are God our Father in heaven. And your name is and should be and will forever be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. And as we consider our lives, we consider our sin, the wickedness that we have rebelled against you, even knowingly and possibly even unknowingly. Father, would you forgive us? Father, would you break us? Would you lead us to repentance and restoration? We take a moment just saying, Thank you for your kindness in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have prepared a way when there seemed to be no way. You prepared a way. And Father, we call on you asking for your blessing, asking for you to move graciously, powerfully, impactfully, through weak people like us, through ordinary people like us, 
but through a wider range of people with different skills, gifts, and abilities that you have equipped and in your providence you have put right where they are today. Would you use us? And Father, as we come before you and partake in the Lord's Supper together, let us not forget the only reason we sit here before you is because of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice for sin. The weight of sin was all placed upon him so that we could gain access freely through his atoning sacrifice. Father, we love you, we worship you, we thank you for the position that we have been given, we have not earned on our merit. We've been freely given it as co-heirs with Christ. Let us continue to live in the gratitude and the overflow that you have called us to live in. Father, we love you, we worship you, we thank you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to take communion.